Good morning. Hope you all are doing well. We are studying through the book of Acts. So if you have a Bible, you can open up your Bibles to Acts. We're going to be in chapter 20. We have been uh, going through the book of Acts for a while. And we have come up now to Acts chapter 20. Uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 20 this week and next week. And similar to whenever we saw Paul plant the church in Corinth, and then we went over and studied the book of 1 Corinthians, we're looking at uh, this particular week, <clears throat> uh, the last couple of weeks we've been looking at Paul planting the church in Ephesus. We're going actually through, he's already had his time in Ephesus, but there will be next week a time where he has one last discussion with the Ephesian elders. He doesn't actually go to Ephesus, he just goes to Miletus. Uh, you can see that in 2017, and he has one last kind of discussion with the Ephesian elders. With them, it's a very emotional time for him, uh, lots of tears. Uh, he admonishes them and loves them and uh, uh, gives them some encouragement, and then he keeps going on to Jerusalem. We'll see that next week. And then once we've kind of seen his full uh, time with the, the Ephesians, then we're going to go to the letter of Ephesians starting in November. So we'll be the, in the letter of Ephesians for about 12 weeks, November, December, and January. And then we'll come back over to chapter 21 and go back through, keep going through the book of Acts. But uh, as I said, today we're in Acts chapter 20, and uh, this this set of verses we're looking at can be thought of as just kind of bridge text. So we saw what Paul did uh, in his time in Ephesus and the riot that they had, etc. last last week uh, in chapter 19. And really this, uh, this text in chapter 20 starting in verse 17 is a significant text uh, regarding eldership and, and what it looks like. And so this, this text today in chapter 21 through 16 can be thought of as just kind of a bridge text. This is, you know, to get us to the main things. But I, I, actually, I don't think it's a bridge text. I think it's a very important text. So as we're looking at chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, and it, it's kind of a fast pace. He goes here, he goes there, he goes there, he goes there. And you got one little story about this boy falling out the window. Um, it's, it's not necessarily just a bridge text to get to the next set of verses where Paul has this amazing in, encounter with the Ephesian elders. I think, actually, there are a lot of things that we can learn in, in 21 through 16. So uh, I'm, I'm super excited to, to look at it with you today and study it. And hopefully the Lord will bless our time and um, we'll be encouraged by it. So if you would, uh, here at Remedy, we stand when we read the text. So if you're able to stand, I'd love for you to stand with us. Uh, at the end of the time, after I read the verses... I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and your response is, thanks be to God. And this is just signifying a thankfulness uh, in your heart that God would be so kind as to speak to us and give us his text. And also, as we're looking at it for the rest of the sermon, when you say, thanks be to God, you're kind of signifying in your heart and mind that what the Lord teaches me, what the Lord says to me, I want to respond and be obedient to. So uh, we're in Acts chapter 20. If you don't have one, you can look underneath you there and grab one of those blue and white ones and and follow along during the sermon. It's all yours. Uh, Start in verse 1. After the uproar, that's the riot we saw in chapter 19, ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, he was, set, he set, he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus, and from Berea accompanied him, um, and of the Thessalonians. Aristarchus and Secundus and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and of the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus, these went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we set, sailed away from Philippi after the day of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, <clears throat> when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. 
And they prolonged the speech until midnight. That's a long sermon. Um, but they started at day, at, when the sun went down. And there were lamps in the upper room where we're gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting in a window, sank into deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell from the third story and was dead, taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over and taken him into his arms and said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in, in him. And when Paul had gone up and broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them still a while longer until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away live and <clears throat> were not a little comforted. That means very comforted. But going on to the ship, we set sail for Asos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for he arranged intending to go by land. And when he, he met us at Asos, we took him on board and went to uh, Mytilene and then set sailing for there. We came following the opposite date, Chios. The next day, we touched down at Samos. The day after that, we went to Miletus, where Paul decided to set sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend any time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. It's the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Jesus, we pray that this time would be uh, fruitful for our entire church, that after we've looked at this particular text, we would... We would understand the amazing value in being uh, encouragers. And what, what a great joy it is to be equipped by you to love and encourage each other in this church. And that we would, we would put these things into practice this week. That we would seek and desire to be major encouragements to each other. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the main thing that you look at this particular text, you see you, the story of Eutychus and it's quite intriguing. Whenever I was a youth minister... Uh, Stephen Pappas was my, was my youth intern, and uh, we had weekly prayer, and one time we were praying together, and he went first, and I went second, and we were praying for a while. Uh, he went first, and so he prayed for a while, and then he waited patiently for me to pray, and he waited, and he waited, and he waited, and he waited, and then he kindly woke me up and said, hey, are you all right? And I was like, man, I'm sorry. It's just been one of those days we had just had a newborn, and, uh, and I remember just how funny he thought it was. And it was funny. Uh, and so I can identify with Eutychus here that uh, sometimes you just get tired. And then that means if I'm Eutychus in the story, uh, Stephen is the Apostle Paul. So that puts him in a good position. But the, the, the point of the story that we're looking at here is not really about Eutychus uh, falling to his third story death. And I remember, and actually, one of my, I'll never forget in my New Testament class, my professor always said this. Dr. Gary, whom I mentioned before, uh, his name is Eutychus, and that's easy to remember because Eutychus, too, if you fell from a third-story window and died. But, uh, yeah, da-da, anyway, where's my drums? Oh, just the, so anyway, so uh, that's not really the point of the story, though, I don't think, because uh, really what we're looking at here is uh, bookends of this parakaleo, the Greek word encouragement. You can see in verse 1, after encouraging them, uh, that's the coming alongside of them or comforting them, you can all see it. Uh, also see it in verse 2, he had given them much encouragement. But it also ends, uh, if, in verse 12, whenever they were, they were uh, not a little bit comforted, not a little comforted. Same verb, same kind of thought, parakaleo. So I'm going through, through 16 because I want to start it fresh at 17 with the Ephesian elders. But we see uh, in here that there's this parakaleo going on. And that, I think that's really the main point of what we're looking at, is that uh, there's a lot of places that Paul's going, but... As he's going in his third missionary journey, which we've talked about, is different than the first two, where those first two he went through all these cities and made disciples. Now he's going along and he's uh, v- revisiting all these particular people 
discipling them. But some of the main things that he's wanting to do is parakaleo, coming alongside them and giving them encouragement. So this, this word means encouragement, it means comforting, it means consolation, but it also uh, carries the thought of exhortation. So there's some, there's some correction in a sense as well. So uh, as we're looking at this, there's, there's uh, some things that I want to draw out for us, uh, some things kind of going on that are filled in in other letters that l- let us know, and this, I mean, Luke's just flying through these cities, and we're not necessarily getting a ton of stuff. But if you fill in the gaps with the rest of the letters, there's, there's a pretty good bit going on where we can see just how encouraging Paul's being. And so I want to uh, show you the encouragements that's going on in the text. And hopefully what we'll do as we see these things is that we'll all strive to want to be encouragers. We all know that the people that we like to be around are the people that encourage us. The people that discourage us, we really don't like to hang around them very much at all, right? But the people that are quite encouraging, like, man, I just hung out with this guy, and I just want to do it some more. Like, I need to schedule another appointment. Being around him or her just makes me feel awesome because they're so encouraging. And I'm hoping that we'll see that in this text, and we'll say, well, that's the kind of person I want to be. And so there's, there's some notes here and some remarks on, on encouragement, what it can look like. It's not an exhaustive list, but certainly can help us. We know that in, in Hebrews chapter 3 verses 12 and 13, we know that we have the responsibility and the privilege to encourage each other daily is what it tells us in, in the book of Hebrews. So in this particular text, I want to talk about how to give and receive encouragement. One writer says, when he's commenting, he's looking at this text, he says, if our lungs need oxygen to breathe, then our soul's oxygen is encouragement. Our soul's oxygen is encouragement. So encouragement is quite necessary for us. Um, Whether we're having really awesome days or really rough months, uh, encouragement is is super helpful. Now, uh, as we've been studying through, I've been having people tell me that uh, the maps they they, they enjoy, but we also, they'd like to have some some modern day kind of maps too. So go to the first one. Uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of heads up of where we are because there's a lot of cities. We, We just saw this... Uh, we're, we just left Ephesus right here. And so we're going to go all the way up to Troas, go up into Ma- the region of Macedonia, uh, probably to Philippi. Uh, they, they leave there and they come back down here to this region of Achaia. It's also called Greece in our text. It says that he stays there for three months. So that means likely that he's in the city of Corinth for three months, which he's had many kind of troublesome interactions with them. Up to now, four different letters uh, and a visit that was painful. Uh, then he leaves and goes back up through here, we see that he sets sails through Asos, uh, he goes through Mytilene, He's, he wants to visit, visit these Ephesian elders, so we, he goes to Chios, Samos, and he comes to Miletus, this is where we're going to finish the text, is Miletus, so he actually sets sail past them, he doesn't go to them, because as it says in the verse 16, he has his face set towards Jerusalem, because he wants to get back here for the Pentecost. So he's going to set sail and he's going to stop at Miletus, invite those Ephesian elders out here to have that discussion, which we'll see next week, because his real desire is to finally get back down here to Jerusalem because Pentecost is coming. So he's, he's got somewhere he wants to go. But the interesting thing, which we're going to see, is even though he really wants to get to Jerusalem for Pentecost, and he is, I mean, way out of the way, he's really kind of taking his time, even though he's got some serious things he wants to, to do in... in uh, in Jerusalem. So if this region, if you're looking at it, if you're thinking, I don't know what these places are. These places don't make any sense to me. Well, this is, this is modern day Turkey. Go ahead to the next map. To give you a kind of modern day look, I just zoomed in on, on my 
uh, Apple Maps and then backed out a little bit. And so here's where we are uh, in regard to where they started in Jerusalem. This is modern-day Turkey. And up here you can see this is the region of, of Greece and everything. So if, you, if you're wanting to know where are they in the relation to where we are in 2016, uh, 17, I'm in the wrong year. Uh, this, is where they're, this is where they're going. They're, they're really traveling mostly through uh, modern-day Turkey. Uh, it said Asia here, but this is really just Turkey now. And going down in here and back up and come, coming back over here. So uh, I'm gonna, that's the only time I'm going to use that map, but some people have indicated I'd really like to know where they are today. Uh, so I'll use the other map. But we'll come back to that. Now, uh, let's go back over here to verses 1 through 16. And I just want to kind of take the big picture step back and just realize this. Especially in the day we live in. Uh, Verses 1 through 16 all show us one thing about encouragement. And that's the first thing I want you to see. As, As we just read the entire text, what I want you to see is that we should all strive to give Christ honoring encouragement to other people in a personal way. So that's number one. Just really kind of taking the entire text all encompassing. What we see here is Paul is, there, there are letters that he writes here, no doubt. That's kind of like our, he sends them their text message or email. But, I mean, he wants to go to Jerusalem, but he's still traveling around in difficulty, not staying in nice hotels or anything, and going face to face to all these particular people just to give them encouragement. So, if that, was more, if that was difficult um, 2,000 years ago, then we can look at that and say, well, then there's some things I can, I can learn from that. If he's willing to do a lot of difficult travel just to make sure that he can go face-to-face and revisit all the people to give them encouragement, we can import that truth into today and say, listen, um, I know that it's, uh, it's easy to shoot a text message to people, and sometimes that's the best thing to do, or an email or whatever, or even a phone call. But there's nothing like face-to-face encouragement. There's nothing like face-to-face encouragement. So I put in a personal way here just to say that I know that there's sometimes the best, most personal way that you can do is a phone call, which, you know, I I received that this week. But at the same time, um, we're humans, and we're made for face-to-face encounters. We're we're not made for screen-to-screen encounters. That doesn't, in the end, uh, satisfy us the way that God's designed us. And so just kind of taking a big picture, Paul is traveling all over just to give face-to-face encouragements. And so the first thing I want you to see as we're looking here is that uh, that's, that's the way that we should strive. It's not going to be uh, necessary, easiest for us all the time. Sometimes shooting a, uh, a, 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 you know, a nice emoji with a heart is, is the way to go, right? Sometimes it's just that's what you have to do. Um, but, but if you have the choice between emoji or face-to-face, do the face-to-face. You know, this is how God has designed us. Um, that's the first thing, is that we, we should strive to do our encouragement in a, in a personal way. Uh, now, so here we see in verse 1 that Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell to them. So he, he encourages those in, in, in uh, Ephesus before he leaves. And then he goes and says, and he had gone through all these particular regions, and as he's doing that, he had given them much encouragement, and he came to Greece, and he spent three months there. Uh, <coughs> And there was a plot made against him by the Jews, and he set sail again for Syria. So he's, he's really going all over the place here. And uh, he's trying to help us see that in verse 16, Luke, Dr. Luke's already told us that he's actually trying to hasten this trip. So he's, even though it seems like he's taking his time, he really does have a place to go. He's hastening to get to Jerusalem because he wants to be there for Pentecost. But uh, put up the map for me. If we, if we notice, um, he's, he's right in here. 
And Jerusalem's here. And so the quickest way from here to Jerusalem is obviously just going this way. He could, he could walk back through or set sail over here. And so the quickest way to Jerusalem is not to go up. <laughs> not to go completely out of the way to come back all the way back down. So Paul, even though he really wants to go to Jerusalem, wants to give encouragement as well. And it's really to actually go the complete opposite direction of where he needs to go in order to give people encouragement. So as we're looking at the way he even sets his, <clears throat> his agenda whenever he wants to go to Jerusalem but goes the opposite way, the second thing that we can draw from this is this, is giving Christ honor and encouragement means that you'll have to go out of your way to do it. Paul goes out of his way to do this. Literally, the opposite direction of where he wants to go. He goes out of his way to do this. And so, in order for us to be able to really accomplish this, self-absorption has to fade away. Whenever we stop thinking about ourselves and other people, we will go out of our way to give other people encouragement. This is exactly what Paul does. When you look at the map, it literally means that's what he does. Um, Whenever he was traveling, we're told that he was actually looking for Titus the entire time he's doing this uh, as well. And his spirit was not at rest while he was looking for Titus, trying to get to Jerusalem. Um, And we also know that he was troubled in mind as he's looking for him and trying to... uh, So he had a lot on his mind. He's going the opposite direction, but he still takes time as he's doing that, to make sure that these particular people that he had visited, he had shared Christ with, he had seemed to come to know Christ, that he's going out of his way to share the gospel with them, out of his way to give them gospel encouragement. This is what it means for us then. If we're thinking about it, it means that we have to drive the extra 30 minutes sometimes to, to encourage people. It means that we have to go across town to be with people. It means that we'll get home later and we don't get to start our shows right off. You know, you, maybe you don't get to see This Is Us tonight. You have to watch it on the app later or whatever it is you watch. Like, it means that you're going to miss some things sometimes that you really want to do because you take time to be with other people because God wants you to be around them to give them encouragement and to not have everything you want all the time, but instead serve other people. It means that we need to honor Christ to give up encouragement to other people by going out of our way to do it. <clears throat> and, of course, I mean, sometimes uh, it means we have to be inconvenienced. It means we have to be inconvenienced for the sake of other people. Paul literally is inconveniencing himself three months and going the complete opposite way and certainly putting himself in danger because there was a plot against him. You can see in verse 3, he spent three months when he was in Corinth probably uh, and there was a plot made against him by the Jews. So he's going out of his way and knowing that his life's even at danger just to go give encouragement to people. And so the second thing I want us to see is If we're going to be Christ-honoring encouragers, we have to be uh, others-focused, not self-absorbed, and be willing to go out of our way. Drive across town and see somebody face-to-face, and just that's your your afternoon or that's your evening that you had other stuff you wanted to do. Um, The next thing I want you to see is this. Whenever he's going, which we've already talked about, he's going through the regions... Uh, and gave them encouragement in Greece. And there he spent three months. There he spent three months. That's a long time to spend whenever you're really trying to get somewhere, right? So likely it was the winter that was going on. But still, uh, he, he's willing to stay three months in the city of Corinth, which when we looked at 1 Corinthians, we haven't even looked at 2 Corinthians, when we looked at 1 Corinthians, they're a mess. And he had already sent a severe letter to them. He really had four correspondences with them. Uh, and... 1 Corinthians is the second, and 2 Corinthians is the fourth. We don't have the first and the third, but we know that this third one 
is a very severe letter because he references it in the fourth letter. I'm sorry about the severe letter that I sent you. I was hoping that you would respond in, in, a, in, a, in a way that honors Christ, and they did. And so he had lots of correspondence with them. And then he actually, actually goes to them here and spends uh, three months with them. So he has a lot of time with them, uh, and he's having to be pretty direct with them about the things that's going on in their lives. And as that's the case, uh, they receive him. They, they, they don't turn away and get upset at him, but they actually constantly are being... Uh, very humble in listening to Paul. But what we see here is that Paul, and he knows that he's not even, I mean, he's not 100% confident even as he's going in that he's going to be received. But he's willing to spend three months there anyway. So the third thing I want you to see about encouragement is not only do you have to go out of your way, whenever you're there, you're actually going to have to give them a lot of time. So the third thing is Paul's willing to spend three months. Christ honoring himself, you can put it up. Uh, selfless encouragement means you have to give your time to people. This for us, uh, is probably the most difficult. Uh, for us, our, our most precious commodity that, that we live our lives with is our time. We fill our schedule so jam-packed with stuff that we have zero margin. And so whenever we actually give somebody some time, that's a big deal. But the truth is, that's the way that um, the Lord has designed us, is that we should be willing to give people our time. When, even whenever they have nothing to give to us, we have nothing to gain from them. Uh, those are ones that, that we really can understand that we're, we're honoring Christ. Whenever, I mean, if we have something that we can gain from somebody by giving them our time, that's one thing. But if we have nothing that we can gain from somebody and we still give them our time, then I think we're being most Christ-like. It doesn't mean that people that, uh, that you can gain from you should never hang out with. I'm not saying that. <laughs> but I am saying uh, God wants us to give our time to people. So who is it that you could simply give more time to? Who is it in your life that would benefit from you giving them more time? I think that God wants you to be with them, to give them encouragement, and, and hang out with them, uh, to give them the encouragement they need in, in their walk with Christ. I, this past week, I received a phone call from someone who was reading through the book of Hebrews, and as they were reading through the book of Hebrews, um, they saw in Hebrews thirteen seventeen about uh, what it means to follow their the church leaders, of, and pray for them, and, and consider it a joy uh, to, to follow them, etc. And uh, they called just to encourage me and say, um, you know, I was thinking about the work that it takes, and I just wanted to call you and encourage you and thank you for what you do. I'm, I'm not, this isn't me fishing for compliments. I don't want everybody to call me this week, right? If you want to call an elder, just call Joe or Jack, and then it was my idea for you to call them. I'm just simply pointing out an illustration that someone called me this week just because they're reading the Bible just to encourage me. And just to say thanks. And then um, prayed with me on the phone. And I just, it just meant a lot. It meant a whole lot. Uh, and when those things happen in our lives, those are the things that we don't forget. Like, I, there's a lot of things I forget. I have no idea what I ate yesterday. But, like, when people call me and tell me those special kind of things, those are the things that just last in our minds. And with you, no doubt, whenever people have done those things, they stick in your head. And so think about who is it in this church that's in your community group? that you could call this week and encourage. That whatever you read that morning in Scripture or read that week in Scripture, hopefully that morning, um, you, could, you could share with them and encourage them in the faith. Uh, it, it's really a super meaningful time. As we're looking at kind of both of these last two that we go out of our way and that we give time, Tony Marita writes this, we must realize that our failure to encourage others is a sign that we really don't love our brothers and sisters. Instead, we love our plans. Instead, we love ourselves. 
So may God break our hearts, leading us to repentance and showing us how we can encourage others this week. So I would just challenge you. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that you don't love everybody in the church. I'm not saying that. But I would say, if you're like me at all, you really love yourself a lot. And that can sometimes need to die to really love other people. And so let's, let's think of others and go out of our ways and give time to people and encourage them. Who is it that you could have a face-to-face coffee this week just, for, just for, to encourage them? Or to call them up this week just to encourage them? Think about who that is and literally write it down right now while I'm talking. Just ignore me for 10 seconds if you need to while you're writing that down so that you can make a mental note to be able to do that and give them some encouragement. Now, as we're going on, we see here that there was three, uh, three months that he spent there in, in Corinth. And we know that while he was there, um, this was probably not an easy visit. As we know, but noted before, that parakaleo can mean encourage, but can also mean exhort, exhortation. To give some kind of truth to their heart that they needed, even if they didn't want it, but in a Christ-honoring way that they needed to hear. And so, uh, this is what Paul does. As a matter of fact, we know in 2 Corinthians that while he's there, he tells us this. Um, this is that Paul's kind of remembering or talking about this visit that's going to happen, this uh, this letter that he sent and the fact that he's going to be there uh, soon. He said, For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you, for if I cause... For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pain? And as I have wrote, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. I wrote you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. And so uh, we know that before he even goes there, they had already received this pretty severe letter from him. Uh, where he had called out things going on in their, in their church that needed, I mean, to be fixed. And so as he's walking in, he knows that there's going to be, you know, some nervousness, right? There's, there's an elephant in the room we all kind of need to address so that we can all be at ease here. So uh, the next thing I want to point out about encouragement is this. As Paul's walking into Greece for three months, he's already had these, these four exchanges with them. We've read 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians points out some things. I mean, at the very end, he actually, they've received 2 Corinthians before he gets there. And he's already told them, you need to test your faith to see if you're even in the faith. And then the third letter, it was a severe letter. So he's knowing that he's walking on eggshells a little bit while he's walking in there. But still, he's going in there. Uh, and there's probably some things he needs to talk to him about when he's going. So the fourth thing I want you to see is this. Christ-honoring encouragement, selfless encouragement, also means we can't run away from conflict. It means that you will have to sometimes exhort people. So when I'm saying encouragement, I'm using this Greek word parakaleo intentionally to say that sometimes encouragement means exhortation. It means parakaleo, come alongside them and speaking to them the truth of, of, the God, of God's word. Even though they might not necessarily uh, at that particular time have this receptive heart that really wants to hear it, it's the best thing we can do. The way that we can encourage sometimes is an exhortation, is an exhortation. And that's what Paul does. He mentions that uh, the letter that he wrote to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, the letter that he wrote to him was actually really painful for him. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, uh, For when we came to into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting, fighting without fear, and, I'm sorry, fighting, 
without and fear within, but God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort which he comforted you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, and still I rejoice the more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for, for I see that a letter grieved you, <clears throat> but though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice not because you are grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. So as he had written that severe letter, he was super nervous about it. Titus had gone and taken the letter, and as they read it, they all repented, and Titus had come back and told him what had happened, that they actually repented. They, they, they received this pretty strong letter, and Paul was like, I was grieved that I had to send it to you because it made me sad, but I wasn't grieved to the, to the extreme because I saw that it actually led you to repentance. And when Titus gave me that message, I was so happy. And then I'm, I'm coming there after Titus's report and going to spend some time there. Uh, but nevertheless, even as he gets there, there's going to be some more exhortation that has to happen. And so um, what we can see here is as he's traveling around from city to city and giving encouragement, uh, there's going to be times where an exhortation is necessary even in the midst of these... Uh, encouragements that are happening but that's that's uh that's exactly god's design that's exactly god's design as we do encouragement so our nature whenever we think about confrontation that that would that would bring about christ honoring exhortation at least mine is to try to run away and avoid conflict avoid these kind of discussions the best thing to do is act like it never happened and we can all just kind of forget about it we can act like we're normal even though we're never normal around each other uh that seems to be the common place that we that most of us kind of think about whenever it comes to conflict. But this is not healthy, and this is not the way Paul, if you know, I mean, if you read Paul, that's not the way he's going to be, right? Uh, Especially with anybody, but uh, with the Corinthians here. And so because of his maturity in Christ and his desire to uh, talk about these things head on and, and have a time with them, it pays rich dividends in the end where they didn't isolate Paul, but instead they received him. And I believe the Corinthian church continued to grow even better after that. So, uh, and, and by the way, this is just an amazing side note. Those three months that he's in Corinth where he finally goes and hangs out with him before the plot against him while he's there and he's having all these conversations in there, he also just found some time to go ahead and write the letter of Romans. So, you know, just hanging out for the winter, I'll write Romans. So, I mean, this is an amazing dude, right? If you've read Romans, it's just pretty awesome. So, uh, it's his, you know, his systematic theology of all things. And so, while he's in there doing that, he also pins the letter to the letter of, uh, to the Romans because he wants to be there. And as we keep going, I want you to notice this. We, we can see this, and sometimes when we see these um, lists of people, we can just kind of blow by it and say, oh, I can't even pronounce these guys' names, and I would never name my kid Sopater, so what, what, what's going on? Uh, but I want to stop and kind of work through it a little slower just to point out something for us. So Sopater Berea, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, Gaius of Derby, Timothy of the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus, and all these people are winning them, uh, went, going with them. And you can see in twenty verse five, we shift from uh, the theys and th- todays to the wees, and so this means Luke is actually joining them. Uh, so in twenty five, it says these went on ahead of and st- waiting for us, and so now. Luke has officially rejoined them again. He wasn't with them. So as he's writing his history, he always includes himself in that first-person sense instead of third-person. He joins them. So you've got all these different people, and then they sail away, etc. But what we see here, if you count them all up, including Luke and including Paul, uh, he doesn't include himself in the verse, but including Paul, you've got a group of about nine men. And so uh, 
Paul, whenever he travels on these missionary journeys, does not travel by himself. He, he does not want to be by himself. He wants to do these missionary journeys and the work of God uh, in groups, in groups of lots of men that want to do uh, that want to do missionary work with him. So as we're looking at that, instead of just kind of blowing through that, we should stop and think to ourselves, this is actually pretty important in the context of what we're looking at. He's making sure that he's taking people with him. And so the fifth note on encouragement is this. Giving and receiving Christ on encouragement actually happens best in authentic community. So if you're not in a group, it doesn't have to be our Remedy Church group, right? It, it can be a group, but you need to be in authentic Christian community. You're going to receive encouragement and give encouragement much more efficiently if you're inside the context of Christian community. If you have isolated yourself away from those that are believers, you're never going to receive these kinds of encouragements. You're never going to have people around you to tell you these things. Paul does not live this life, and neither these other guys. These are mostly all guys, likely, when you read the cities that Paul had gone to in his first and second missionary journeys and shared Christ where they got saved. So these are mostly Paul's sons in the faith that had started joining him, but he brought them in as brothers and walked around with them. And so much so, he built a group of at least nine guys that are walking around with him doing missionary journeys. And so uh, what we can see is it's super important for us in the context of living our lives Uh, in the realm of being good encouragers, but also having people around us that are going to give us encouragement, when we meaningfully and intentionally stick our lives in the group or in the context of a Christian community. So make sure, make sure that you are in a Christian community with people. For us at Remedy, it's community groups. That's the way that we do it. Every church has their groups, and there's no wrong way according to the way that they do it. I'm not saying any way to do it's wrong or right. I'm saying that every church has them and you should be in them. You should, while you're doing it, not just show up to the meeting and not say anything and clock back out and never contact anybody until you see them the very next week. That's not, I'm, I'm saying get into their lives. Don't get into a meeting. Get into their lives. Get into their lives. Be with people. Be an authentic Christian community and really get to know people. A few notes though, I want to make sure when I'm talking about community, I want to I point out some things here that maybe aren't the, the most obvious on the face of it that we can also uh, import into our, our community. So here are some things I want you to know. Uh, you can put up that map for me real fast. This is, again, I know I love the map. So as it's listing, it, it's saying that these particular people, if you read it, he's, he's saying so-and-so of so-and-so, so-and-so of so-and-so. When he's listing out, he's listing all these regions. So the first thing that uh, I think that pops out then is there's diversity in this community. There's diversity. He's intentionally listing all these people of their different places just to make sure that we know that Paul has, you can go back over to number five, sorry. Uh, Paul has a group of people that are diverse. They are not all the exact same, which is good. As a matter of fact, there's two people. Not only do they racially likely look different, but even socioeconomically they're different. You have... uh, Aristarchus, who's probably a member, he's an aristocrat, and you have Secundus, who's probably also a slave. So you have people that are uh, really rich and really poor hanging out with each other. So there's a lot of diversity. So if we're just going to pull that out and talk about community, it's super important for us at Remedy to make sure our Christian community is not uh, homogenous. 
but very diverse. Very diverse. We will learn more from other people when they are not exactly like us. So we, we need to be diverse in our community. Get involved in people that aren't like you. Not just different race or different culture, but even dis- different socioeconomic status. That's the first thing that we can see here is when Paul gets into a community of people, diversity um, adorns the gospel, it adorns heaven, and it, it tells the truth about what heaven will be like, and Paul certainly makes that uh, in, his, in his particular group as he's uh, traveling around. And he's not afraid to encourage them. I mean, we, when you come from different cultures, and sometimes it's different, everybody gives encouragement in different ways in different cultures, he still does it, right? He still says, I'm just going to do it. If I mess up, you can just tell me. <laughs> well, and that's fine, and we'll work through it, because that's the way it's supposed to be. But the first thing is that uh, they're diverse, and we should have diversity in our, in our community. The second thing that you should know about this is that these, I've already mentioned, all these people are likely products of Paul's previous missionary labor. Meaning, if you trace those cities and those regions that, that they're from, they'll follow Paul's first and second missionary journey where he evangelized them and then followed him and then became his brother in Christ. And so, uh, we should try to build community not just uh, finding other Christians, but trying to go out and evangelize people into our communities. Like, hey, you look pretty different than me. Let me tell you about Jesus so you can join my community. It doesn't have to be that, that weird. That's obviously pretty strange. Like, you're weird to get away from me. But, like, um, but you know what I mean, right? You, you can see the point. Is These are the products. These, Paul's, Paul's brothers here are, in Christ are, are products of his, his fruitful labor in, what, chapter 9 all the way up to verse, chapter 20. The third little thing I want you to note is this. Because they were products of Paul's labor, they also joined him on mission. These people were missionally minded. So his group that he was in, which we should have, a group of missionally minded people. We, we don't just hang out and just talk theology, which is fine. Talk theology all you want. I, I love it. I want to do it too. But they also took that and and obeyed the great commission with it. That's what they're doing. I mean, that's exactly, they're following him around, literally going from city to city, trying to reach new people. And so each one of these cities that he went to, whenever Paul would see them get converted, would give their best leader, you know, Sopater or uh, Aristarchus or uh, Secundus and Gaius. These are likely the best leaders of the cities. Instead of staying there, went with Paul and went around and, and, and did missionary work with him. And so... We should want to do that as well, give our best people, and we should want to do mission work with our community as well. So how can you do stuff like this? How can you make sure you have authentic Christian community in 2017? It means whenever you fill up your calendar, fill it up with face-to-face lunches and coffees, evening desserts, whatever it works for you, with people that you can, uh, that you can give encouragement to in your church and those that you know that need Christ. Also, and this is just the most obvious, which really happens here in, in verse 7 through 12, because they gather, it says it right there in verse 7, on the first day of the week. So you are, this is just amazing the way God worked this out, you are around a lot of your church folk every single Sunday. So even here, like between services, before and after service, we actually do a really good job at this, but we can... Um, we can be in community and have lots of good conversation. It doesn't have to just be with lunches and desserts, but Sunday mornings. Every single Sunday morning, 
uh, when you slip in quietly, which is, I get it. I'm an introvert. I would rather never talk to somebody in my entire life. I just, if I could never talk to someone else for my entire life, I think I would probably, bad, be okay. Like, that's just fine. Unless I, unless I start the conversation and I really got to be worked up to do it, right? That's just how introverts feel. Like, conversations make me nervous because I don't know what to say. Um, but whenever we're here on Sunday mornings, we can, we can uh, encourage each other here, which means... Be here on Sunday mornings. Be here every Sunday morning. Because Sunday morning is not just about the vertical relationship uh, with God, but it's also about the horizontal relationships that we have with everybody else. There is a vertical and horizontal component to the corporate gathering that we have every single Sunday. And so when we come here, we're meant to, of course, hear the gospel and worship Jesus. But also we come in the horizontal nature to both give and receive encouragement from each other. And the way that's going to happen is that you're here. I, I promise you, every single Sunday that you're here, God has someone that he wants you to encourage and talk to. Every single Sunday you're here. And when you're not, you're missing it. You're missing that chance to do it. So we all need to make that a priority. Now, those are some of the first things that we've seen. As we go into uh, chapter 7 through 12, we see this interesting little story about Eutychus. Uh, and <clears throat> this, is, this is the only time that Paul had with this particular city uh, in Troas. Uh, he, he, d- he did not ever necessarily get a direct chance to evangelize them. So this is, this is his time. And I think that that's why he talked so long, is that he just had this kind of one time in the city and never went back there again. This is, this is his shot with Troas. So I think that's why he uh, was there and speaking so long. It's the only time he ever had. And I think, you know, Luke, for some reason, in this entire kind of uh, going from city to city, he decides in his narrative to dive in and give us an account of one. He didn't give an account of any other city. What is it about Troas that he dove into and gave the account? Why didn't he do it whenever he was in Corinth those three months while he's writing Romans and, you know, having these tough conversations? What is it about when he's summarizing his endeavors on the first three, uh, on this third missionary journey that makes him dive into this particular uh, episode instead of the others? I, I think a couple things. One is because uh, this might have been the most exciting thing that happened on the trip. I mean, Paul raised somebody from the dead. That's pretty cool, right? Um, But also, I think it also gives us uh, some more insight into what we're looking at, which is encouragement. And so we see on the first day of the week, that's Sunday. Let me just make make sure. So we're going to see some elements of a Sunday morning worship service, probably a very typical Sunday morning worship service in the first century. But let's remember that this is descriptive of a Sunday morning worship service, not prescriptive. There's things that, Paul, that Luke doesn't mention. He never mentions prayer. So the, he never mentions prayer happens, so we shouldn't pray. That's not the case, right? So he's just describing things. Now, I think that we should, there are some things, like he says that they gathered weekly for, to break the bread, which means likely they gathered every single week and had the Lord's Supper. We do that at Remedy. I think that's a good idea. So, but we just can remember as we're reading this, this isn't necessarily... <clears throat> Uh, an outline for the way first century or, or even 21st century church services should be. It happens at night uh, in the third story uh, with lamps. That doesn't mean we, we need to buy a three-story building and have only night services only by lamp, right? It, so we just got to remember it's descriptive. Anyway, back to this. So they're breaking bread in verse 7, and Luke means Lord's Supper here. Um, and then we have uh, Paul talking with them. He's in, intending on part in the next day. And so they, they start the service. Um, 
later on in the day, it says, when they were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room as we were gathered, so this means it was an evening worship service that probably started when the sun went down, uh, and Paul's talking up until midnight, so this was a really long time, and they're gathered in the upper room, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting in the window, fell asleep, and he fell to his death. Eutychus uh, was probably somewhere between 8 to 14 years old, uh, and Ironically, Eutychus means lucky or fortunate. (laughs) And he died. But he was kind of lucky and fortunate because if you're going to fall to your death, it's good to have the Apostle Paul near you to bring you back to life. So maybe the irony is actually true too. Um, But he he did die. And then Paul, Dr. Luke, when he says uh, he was taken up dead, Luke wants wants us to know that he he really was dead. And then Paul comes down to him in a very Peter-like from Acts and even uh, Elijah and Elisha, first and second kings-like, saying that he's not, he's going to be fine, don't be alarmed, his life's in him. Uh, And Paul brings him back to life. And then here's the funny thing, right? Paul just brought someone back to life. And he's like, all right, everybody back up, let's go back upstairs. And then we've got got some more preaching to go. And so, I mean, it says, and when Paul had done this, he went back up. He had the Lord's Supper, he ate it, and then he conversed with them even longer, all the way till daybreak. He's like, I, I mean, I just brought somebody back to dead, but I need to finish the sermon. Everybody back upstairs. And then he did this, and it says the youth was taken away live, uh, uh, and everybody was comforted, or parakaleo, everybody was encouraged by this. And so Paul literally pulls an all-nighter preaching, um, probably more conversive, uh, and the people were so incredibly thankful that Paul did this. Now, we also know, and this was his only visit to Troas, in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 13, it says this. He's writing, and he says in verse 13, When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. This is the only time he ever was in Troas. And so this third story house is Carpus. Carpus has got a, a, a sweet crib. He's got three stories. Um, so this mention here in verse 13 is that one time that Paul was at Troas. But what we can see is when he's there, he was there for so long. He was so encouraged by their, their thing. Is, but when you come, bring me the coat that I left there. I left it for him because obviously he wanted them to have it. And the books. And then there were some parchments. But Paul, it doesn't sound like Paul was, was groggy and he stayed up all night and he just forgot his stuff. You know, we know some people that just leave their stuff everywhere. You're like, hey, here's your jacket again. Um, I don't think that that was what's going on here. I think it's Paul literally leaving it on purpose. I left it with them. I, like, I think it's intentional. And so when he's here and he preaches the gospel with them, I think that he's intentionally leaving stuff because he never was with them and he sees that, that they need some stuff. So he intentionally leaves some books for them for their, for their walk in discipleship and even uh, a physical need. Maybe that somebody was cold, maybe it was carpus. Um, he needed uh, a coat. But eventually Paul's in prison and he's freezing and he needs it back. So um, he wants it back at the very end of his life. Uh, but nevertheless, while he was there, he left it. And so um, pulling this all-nighter, encouraging them all night, he does this. He leaves his stuff with them. And so the sixth thing I want you to see is this. Be willing to encourage others with their walk in Christ, even by being willing to give your own possessions away for others to use. Paul willingly leaves his stuff. He didn't have a whole lot of stuff. He didn't have a lot of stuff. And still, he leaves it for them because he knew, 
I think, while he's there uh, and spending that entire night with them, this this would be a help for them. And so I'm going to leave all this stuff with you, and you can be encouraged and comforted by it. And it says that they were they were not a little comforted; they were super comforted. Um, anyway, so the other thing I want you to see is this: as he's with them, and this is I'm going to end with this one: as he's with them, the main way that he encourages them, it says he talks with them uh, until midnight, and then after that's over. Eutychus falls, and he comes back over, and he talks to them and converses with them all the way even longer. Uh, this prolonged speech that he's having, this is likely a sermon. Um, now, you should note this, uh, that Paul's sermon is really long. Like, basically, from when the sun went down to the sun went up. And so, you should be pretty happy with my 45-minute sermons. I just want to point that out. When Paul preaches like eight hours, uh, and only one person dies, that, that's pretty good, Right? And so you shouldn't be super discouraged when I go 45 minutes. But you can also say, hey, but you're not the Apostle Paul, so you don't ever get eight hours. You're right, I'm not. So anyway, um, but the main thing I want to point out is the word itself, I think, is the primary means of which Paul, not just here, as we zoom, when I said, it, when, the reason why I loop, zooms in on this, because it gives us a special tr- truth of encouragement, is um, Paul used the word of God as the central primary means of encouragement to people. And I think that that's what he did in verses 1 through 6, etc. So whenever he went into each particular city, the primary way that he did encouragement was by using the word, which is the last thing, which should have been the first thing, is this. Uh, giving encouragement to other people, you can go ahead and put up number 7, uh, should primarily be done by the word of God. Primarily be done with the word of God. I just say primarily because, you know, you got a sweet email this this week that had a cat on it that had a some kind of like cool thing that someone says god made cats and we should all love them or whatever and i want to forward this to you to make you happy that's fine you know those these are kind of the secondary ways that we you know i saw a leaf fall today and it made me think you know that life is fragile and oh that's fine but um i'm just making up stuff right obviously but uh those secondary means of encouragement can be um can be helpful but the primary way that paul is doing his encouragement that we should do is as we read through the, through the scriptures, like the phone call I received this week, as we read through the scriptures, the primary way we want to encourage others is through the word. God has designed his word to do that. Like, this, these are his very words. And the way that we can mostly encourage other people is by taking God's words, not our own, and giving them these particular things. Giving them what the Lord has done for us in the person of, and work of Christ. And uh, explaining to them through the word the good news of Jesus. John Stott says it this way, nothing encourages and strengthens the people of God like the word of God. Nothing. So there are a lot of things, and I'm not, I'm not undercutting secondary means of encouragement. That means things that aren't the Bible. Do those things. Uh, that's fine. But the primary way that we should encourage people is through the word of God. Know the word and encourage others with the word. Share the Bible with them. Share with them what's going on. Now, I'm going to read 13 through 16, and <clears throat> I'm not going to make any, any direct comments on encouragement, but I, I do want to point out one little thing. Uh, and I don't know why Paul does this, but he does. We're going ahead of the ship. We set sail for Asos, intend to take Paul aboard, for he arranged intending to go himself by land. So there, we, we saw, the map, saw the map. There's, there's little islands and kind of coastland that they're, they're going back and forth on. And there's one little place where instead of walking through the land, they go around by boat, but Paul decides to go through land. 
Why? I don't know. But what we can, the only thing I think we can deduce is Paul wanted to be by himself for some reason. He wanted to walk by land by himself while they all went around the boat. And then he meets them on the other side and he hops on. They go down to Miletus and they invite the Ephesian elders. Why he wants to be by himself, if we tried to guess any reason why, all we can know is that it's speculation. But we can know this, that he wanted to be alone in the midst of busy, busy ministry. He still makes sure that he has some alone time with Christ. I think this is the main thing that we can deduce from that is in the midst of encouragement and being with brothers and hanging out with them and encourage them, et cetera, et cetera. He, he decides just to walk through this rugged land by himself and sending them around to have three or four or five days by himself. And it says, he met us at Asos, we took him on board and they went to Miletine and they came, et cetera. And then they finally got to, um, they finally got to um, Miletus. Now, he's hastening to be to Jerusalem, but still decides to not take the boat and walk through just to make sure he has time to be alone with Christ. And so I just wanted to point that out and say, if anybody was living a busy life, it was Paul. We're all busy, I get it. So was he. But even in the midst of all that, he still makes sure in the busyness that he's spending time alone, refreshing himself with Christ. And so we should as well. Now to conclude, I want to point out some things that, that in the text, Luke is trying to do. Uh, and as we know, Luke wrote in kind of a big two-volume set, Luke Acts. And so as he's writing, writing this, he's doing some similar things that he did in the book of Luke. And as he's doing this, what I think he's trying to do is ultimately, as he counts some of these things that Paul did in the book of Acts, they're very similar to some of the things that Christ did in the book of Luke. So Paul traveled to Jerusalem with a group of his disciples, but Jesus did it first. And um, Paul was opposed by hostile Jews who plotted to try to kill his life. But Jesus did that first. Uh, Paul made and received three successive predictions of of his sufferings that would happen. He he tells them he's going to suffer, but Jesus did that first. Uh, Paul declared that he's ready to lay lay down his life, which he does in 2024, which we'll see next week. But Jesus did that first. Paul was determined to complete his ministry and not be deflected from it whatsoever. But Jesus did that first. Jesus is the Savior. Paul expressed that he had a complete abandonment only to the will of God. But again, Jesus did that first. And so uh, John Stott says this. He says, even if some of these details uh, could be pressed, uh, it shouldn't be pressed, trying to this comparison of Paul versus Luke. Luke is surely intending his readers, as he's reading about Paul, to remember back to the first book, Luke, to remember Jesus' footsteps and how steady he was when it says in Luke 9.51 that he set his face like flint towards Jerusalem. In Luke 9.51, there came a point in the public ministry of Jesus where after he had done healings, it says in Luke 9.51 that as he drew near, uh, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set, he set his face, and it doesn't say in the ESV, but literally in the, in the Greek, it's he set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. This means that as he was doing his public ministry, he came to the point where he said, now I've gone all around and I've done healings and I've done all these amazing things. Now I'm setting my face towards Jerusalem. And so it's not setting his face towards a city per se as much as it is, I'm setting my face towards death. I'm setting my face towards complete obedience to the will of God the Father to go and die for the sins of the world. I am 
I've done these other things that the Lord wants me to do, and now my heart and my mind and my feet are directed straight towards the cross in order to die for the sins of the world. That's what it, when it says in Luke 9.51, Luke 9.51 is this big hinge point in the entire book of Luke where he sets his face like flint towards Jerusalem, and then the rest of the book is him over and over, Luke recounting how he's going to Jerusalem to be obedient to the will of the Father, to die for the sins of the world. And it says later on, as he's foretelling his death in 8.31, taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. This means he's going to die for us. Every single one of us who deserve death because of our sin, Christ, without hesitation, has always been walking straight towards the cross so that all of us could have a Savior that would die for us, receive complete forgiveness of our sins, and be able to be with him forever. And it says, everything that's been written about the Son of Man will be, a, will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked and shamefully treated and even spit upon. And after flogging him, beating him almost to the point of death, they will kill him, but, and, on the third day, he will rise up. So he willingly sets his face toward Jerusalem, knowing that all, he, he, this is before it happens, he tells them, all these horrific things are going to happen to me. And, not only that, all the waves of the anger of God are going to be cast onto him at the cross, and then he's going to willingly give up his spirit, and everybody's going to think it's over. But, three days later, he's going to defeat Satan, sin, and death completely. And because he defeated Satan, sin, and death, we have defeat over Satan, sin, and death. And because he was raised and resurrected and now lives forever, we also will receive the resurrected bodies and will live forever with him. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the message that Paul gave his entire life for. This is, in turn, what Jesus came for because he loves us so incredibly. This is why when we say encouragement, what we mean is gospel encouragement, that we are so shaped by this good news and this only. We have, we have nothing else. There's no tricks. There's no next thing. There's no another level. It's the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And this is all we live, bank our lives and live our lives for is what Christ has done. And that's why we would live such radically different lives, being willing to encourage people, give away our time, give away our stuff, give away our lives, because what Christ has done for us, because we've all been saved by him, if you have put your faith in Jesus, repented of your sin, trusted in him and him only for salvation, and now you live as his son and daughter. This is made available for you right now if you're not in Christ. You can trust in Jesus right now. He gave his life so that you could be forgiven. This is why these people live such radically different lives. And you can have this as well. Let's pray. Jesus, be with us now as we worship you and take the Lord's Supper together. We pray that you would be with us as we think on what Christ has done. And that if anyone here doesn't know you, Christ, we pray that they would put their faith in you and be saved. We pray for us all here that we would be encouragers, that we would think differently on how we can intentionally encourage each other this week how we can push everyone's eyes away from themselves and toward jesus and what he's done for them on the cross we praise in jesus name amen